0: Hey there, welcome to the Mint Measure podcast, where we cover everything related to attribution, incrementality, and marketing analytics. Here we go. Welcome to this week's Mint Measure Live. We're going to be doing an AMA, so if anyone has questions throughout, feel free to just raise your hand or jump right in, and we'll just roll in. Go ahead, get started. Thanks to everyone for being here. We're excited to be doing this with you today. So this first question, Scott says... We have so many reports, of course, all of them are super useful or were at some point, how do you differentiate an important KPI versus other metrics? Just with this, it sounds like a lot of paralysis by analysis, or is it the other way? Analysis paralysis, whatever that term is.
1: Yeah, either one. So yeah, I think this is really interesting because there's a really subtle difference between metrics and KPIs. And often those are used interchangeably, but they are actually very different. Metrics are the different ways that you are going to evaluate a specific channel and like whether or not it's delivering well on the way that it should be. good example of this would be like for digital video completion rate. That is a metric that helps to quantify. Are you buying good inventory? Are people watching your ad? but that is not the KPI. The KPI is typically a business metric. And for any given campaign, if you have more than two or three KPIs, you have too many. And so KPI might be net new orders. It might be total revenue. It might be ROAS. And so the KPIs are usually either set by the client or the agency is coaching and guiding the client on what metrics they should care about. And then the metrics are typically specific to a channel. So you're going to have a lot of metrics and the metrics ladder up to the KPIs and the metrics give you some insight on if a channel is or isn't doing well. When it comes to client presentations, one of the things that we always recommend is that like less is more sharing just a handful of details or a handful of like insightful data points is much better than just dumping all of this information on people What's interesting in this question is they said they are super useful or were at some point. The reality is like the things that you're going to look at over time are probably going to change to some extent. Whether you're just focusing more on upper funnel or lower funnel, or whether you are indulging a request from a C-suite and yeah, the metrics that you're looking at and the way that you're focusing on things do often change. Don't be afraid to every so often revisit your dashboards and either sunset stuff or create a new view that is a little bit more focused. All this information is still gonna be useful and helpful, but you're not gonna be focusing on the same thing. Yeah, hopefully that's a helpful answer.
0: Yeah, and then if this person had to pick the KPIs, how would you think about selecting what are the two, three most important things that deserve to be KPIs?
1: Yeah, the way that I usually frame this is what is the purpose of advertising? If the purpose of of your advertising is to drive sales, then like you should have revenue-focused KPIs. If it is awareness or consideration or site traffic or to acquire net new customers, those are going to guide the KPIs that you choose. So what's the purpose? What are we trying to achieve here? And then selecting the two or three KPIs that are going to most closely let you know if that has succeeded or not.
0: Perfect. All right, so... uh... This person says, I'm thinking of getting my master's in data analytics. Since it's such a financial burden, I want to see if there are any other routes to take that I could self-learn, take certifications or boot camps that I could get entry-level like marketing data analyst roles with. Wanted to know what you think the better path is there.
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting question. So I think for most people, I'm going to say get started in data and analytics without a degree. Because you can learn a little bit, whether you take like a quick bootcamp course online or anything else, but being a good analyst is largely just asking why, right? Being able to interpret the data and ask, why is that? What else? And so you don't need a degree to get started. Now, if you end up really liking data and want to like really go in deep to that, then like that might be worthwhile. We, at this moment, have a data scientist on this call who... I assume has a degree. Anthony, I don't know if you want to chime in on this. What is your take on getting started and getting a degree?
2: Yeah, firstly, the boot camps are absurdly expensive compared to a like academic degree. Like there are online degrees now which cost the same as these boot camps. So I think boot camps should be we can push under the side. You can learn so much of that stuff on YouTube for free or go to school and do it. I value my, I have a master's degree in computer science, so I value that because there's a level of like academic rigor, which is drilled into you over a lot of years, which it helps with really deep projects and like building whole systems and looking into the backgrounds of those systems and why does this work? But that's not how to get started. That's I agree with you. And this is a, this is a long way of saying, I agree with you. You don't need that to get started in data analysis. You, I think there's like a, the gap is trying to get hired into high level positions. And that's where having the degree will help you. If you want to go for a data scientist position at Spotify, something like that. I don't know if you're going to get past like the resume screening without a master's degree. I got this job. I started as a data analyst. I got it by doing some like Twitter analytics at my old job. And I'm leading the data team at a media agency now. There there are so many paths, and I think that they're all valid. there's There's definitely a level of the system will work against you if you don't have a degree once you get high enough. And boot camps, not with
1: it, but it's my take. Cool. Would you say that once you get into any sort of an analyst role, even without a degree, it becomes a lot easier to learn on the job and to pick up things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the, you learn so much so quickly. As soon as you're just like answering a question that wasn't pulled out of a textbook, you, you one client or one stakeholder will come to you with this totally like left field question. Now you have to figure it out and six months That's of doing that and you're, a, you're halfway to an expert. And so, yeah, on the job. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks for your input,
0: Anthony. Awesome. All right, we'll roll on to the next question. So this person says, for one of my advertisers, we've got our bases pretty well covered in our loyal funnel tactics, search, social retargeting. And like you say, we're starting to hit diminishing returns in those channels. And we're starting to have conversations about mid and upper funnel media, but there's resistance from the client. They only look at Google Analytics for the reporting. So we're worried that something like video won't look good and they'll want to shut it off after a month. What channels should we get started in? We'll need to explain why that channel and then hopefully it'll actually deliver results as well.
1: Yeah, this is a really common situation that we run into. And I'm gonna say the channel that you should expand to first should be the one that your client will receive best. If your client has a proclivity for TV and connected TV and digital video, then go ahead and get started there. But for most clients, like they think that video is going to work, but GA is not going to have the post view data. So what is a channel that is a little bit more up the funnel, but is not like full on video? And I think native advertising is actually a really good stepping stone because native is often bought on a CPC, but you do have impression level tracking. So it can be a really good way to show your client, hey, here is a tactic that we maybe are going to buy on impressions or we're at least going to monitor impressions and we can report on post view activity, but it is also still largely a click based medium. So they are going to see things like traffic coming into Google analytics and they are gonna see post click conversions. And so that native can be a really interesting place to say, hey, here's something that like looks like search and social that you're used to, but it also starts to bring in the impressions. And so that's when you can start to like parallel, hey, here's the post view data. And here's the post click data. Hey, Google Analytics is reporting this, but also like we're reaching up the funnel. So here's this new post view that you have to assimilate. So you have Native is a really good place to get started. Video can be like really powerful if it's done well. This might also be the moment in time to consider a different tool besides Google Analytics, something that can measure your digital video or CTV or whatever this upper funnel tactic is going to be and directly tie that into your search and social to understand how often that upper funnel is changing the conversion rate, how it's changing that conversion rate, So yeah, as you're starting to expand these other channels, like you can consider another tool besides GA.
2: Sweet. I just want to add to that. I work at an agency where TV is our specialty. And if we, the impressions to visits ratio, so click through, but you can't click on a TV, but click through for television is absolutely abysmal. But when you compare it to a digital channel, so you look at GA and or anything like that, TV is like anybody who like hasn't looked in depth to it is just going to look all dropping immediately. What you don't see is that when somebody for our clients, at least when they've been acquired to the acquisition point is viewing a TV ad, they convert at multiple hundreds of percent better ratios. So if our clients have a 4% conversion rate, like one to 4% conversion rate, we routinely see like five to 10% for TV acquisitions and that's particularly good when it's things like lead gens. So, you know, if the conversion event is something that is easy to do, so not, you don't have to get your credit card out for it, it's really good. So just a practical example of what you're saying.
1: Yeah, that's a really great like example of a secondary measure that can like really help to justify like, what is the quality of traffic that's coming from these channels? And you might have to explain to your client post view, post click. And, but I think, yeah, that's a really good gauge to understand. Like, are we driving relevant traffic from this channel? Thanks for that.
0: Sweet. All right. This person says, Hey, Scott, I'm just starting to figure out digital measurement for marketing. It seems like most companies talk about a pretty simple BDC example with an e-commerce site where everything is pretty straightforward to track. But I'm in B2B and we use a lot of the same advertising tactics, but our conversion is a lot different and sales process is a lot different. Let's say that my company X sells machines that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and we sell maybe 10 machines a year. We have a website and a bunch of ads that lead our target market to the product pages and some lead gen pages. But then once the lead is generated, the rest of the conversion and the rest of the sales process is happening with our sales team. A couple of questions here, but first, how do I measure the success of, these, of my ad campaigns in that case?
1: Yeah. Okay. So in a B2B role or B2B company like this, the role of marketing is fundamentally different than direct-to-consumer. And marketing kind of has two, two jobs. The first, which is most akin to direct-to-consumer, is the what I call traffic and lead generation, right? You need to reach the right people and bring them to the site and get them interested. But if you're selling 10 10 machines a year, right? Like you can't expect that you're gonna have like crazy volumes on that, nor is that the entire job of marketing. So on the lead gen front, the role of marketing in like the success should be like around who you're trying to reach, what companies you're trying to reach them at, and how much coverage you're getting within that company. So you might buy a data set, something like a Bombora. And so you might say, look, there are a hundred companies and at each of those 100 companies, there are between three and seven people who are going to be making a decision or who are going to be like the right people to talk to about selling this machine. A good measure of success would be like, how many of those hundred companies are we reaching? Of all the people at these companies, have we? what percentage have we reached? How often are we reaching them? Are we giving them information and educational stuff? So that's all what I would call like pre-lead and getting that breadth across the organization so that the company can get into the consideration set. Now, past the lead point, even though there is a sales team, the job of marketing isn't over because there are still a number of people who have to make a choice on this. And in any sort of like an enterprise or like a big sale like this, right? It's complex. There's lots of different problems and features and benefits and stuff like that. So I think like the role of marketing post lead is to support the sales team as they are like pushing through the organization. So again, you probably are going to want like specialty data or maybe if you have like a champion at the organization and they've given you kind of some insight around this. So you might like multi-thread email marketing to, to the company. You might do specific information dissemination. So you might promote a white paper to this company on LinkedIn, or you might have a a bucket of in-market prospects. And you know that generally speaking, they need to know about the product and you know how it works and you know this and right. And so setting up these, we're going to call lead nurturing, where like this company is in progress or in process to buy. And so the role of marketing then is surrounding that and supporting that. To go back to the first question that we had about like KPIs and metrics, depending on the channels that you're choosing, whether that's LinkedIn or Display or Native, or whatever, right? you can have the metrics that are helping you to know if that channel is working or not. But in this B2B world in specific, you're going to need some additional data source like a Bombora that can really help you understand who you're reaching at these different companies, how many people you're reaching, et cetera.
0: Gotcha. And then I guess follow on question for this. I'm responsible for the budget. I need to be able to prove that I'm spending money wisely and effectively to leadership and my management team. I need to know where to cut budget and where to increase it so I can optimize performance of this campaign. Anything else I should be thinking about managing attribution for paid channels and then based on what metrics or strategies do I decide what changes to make in flight?
1: This is a really nuanced question that's going to vary wildly for every advertiser. So I don't have enough about this one particular advertiser, but testing and learning is going to be your best friend. And if you can plan at least six months of tests, hey, we're going to expand into LinkedIn, or we're going to be introducing this new type of white paper that we want people to download. And you plan, cool, what is a good download rate? What's a good click-through rate? How many like website visitors, do we think that we're going to get for this? And I'll say this now no one's going to nail all of the right metrics the first time around, right? You're going to say, I think we should use metrics A, B, and C. And then you might find out that metric C actually isn't very useful. And you replace that with metric D, right? And so, you know, the attribution of paid channels for B2B is tough, right? You know, if you're selling 10 products a year, like, how are you supposed to attribute? An ad that was served 18 months ago that turned into a lead 12 months ago that turned into a product sale today. Like it's tough. This is really where the role of a CRM is going to come into play and having your own data in there and logging these interactions and touch points and stuff like that. The long sales cycle in B2B makes it a lot more complex, whereas something that's direct to consumer or like B2C you're typically not looking at longer than like a 45 day sales cycle for some sort of like consumer product unless you're like lux or like really high end. Yeah. B2B is just a lot more difficult to try and attribute.
0: Sweet. All right. I've got two more questions here. So this person has a question about client management. This comes in the flavor of paid search, but high level, it's about having a difficult client. So this person says I've had a few problems lately with clients that have less unrealistic expectations for paid search. I've had one demand that their ad always shows up. Every time search is a relevant term, regardless of how the algorithm actually works. I've also had another client demand that their ads always appear first. Every time someone searches a particular turn, I've tried explaining the things that we have control over and the things that we don't, but they refuse to accept my answers and think Google should be forced to do exactly what they want since they're paying for these ads. And we've had some pretty tense calls. So how do you deal? With clients like this, explaining the situation doesn't seem to work, and pointing out that their ads are working great and are performing doesn't seem to help.
1: My my flippant answer, which I'm like seventy five percent serious about, is maybe you should fire this client. I'm going to make a prediction that this advertiser who has is all up in arms is probably spending less than two million dollars per year. They're probably a small advertiser, very concerned about their budget. There's this weird paradox where the less money you spend, the more anal retentive you are about your spend. And the guy who's spending a million dollars a month cares a lot less about the nuance than a guy who's spending a million dollars a year. So look, like at the end of the day, the results should speak for themselves, right? And if it's up and to the right and dollars and revenue are increasing and cost per are within your allowable, theoretically your client shouldn't uh, shouldn't be too upset. Alas. As a mid-market agency guy, I know exactly how these clients can be sometimes. So look, if it is a constant source of pain and frustration, somebody in leadership needs to understand and make a judgment call. Like, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is my team getting burned out and frustrated, running in circles with this client? Look, if the client's paying you $60,000 a month, You might put up with a lot more bullshit than if they're paying you $3,000 a month. And yeah, I think there comes a point where you just have to say, look, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Like, here's our ROI. Here's what we're doing that's that's working well. I have to say, I am somewhat surprised that in 2023, there are still marketers who are like, but I want to show up for every query or this person... I'm guessing it doesn't have a long history in marketing. If they did, they would probably understand the nuance of these platforms a little bit better. So look, practical advice that I would give you is talk to your boss and make sure that they understand the situation and the the emotional cost of fighting this client. You can educate the client only so much, right? Maybe you put them in touch with a Google rep. If the agency has a Google rep, Nothing like hearing it from the horse's mouth and hearing the Google rep say, Hey, look like we can't do that thing. And then consider firing them. Like, are they the right client for you? Is it worth putting up with all of this effort? And the other thing that might be, I don't know, people might not like this, but maybe you got to go to that person's boss, right? There've been multiple times when I had like a marketing manager client who was just on some topic or for some reason, like. Just being unpleasant or rude or mean or wasn't budging on stuff. And like from time to time, you have to go to their boss, you have to go to the VP or the CMO or whoever and say, Hey, look, like this kind of a deal, this is a situation. I'm coming to you because I've exhausted my options. Or, you know, maybe it's not the person who's like working with that manager, but it's that person's boss goes to the other person's boss and is, like, Hey, like we got to talk about our teams. Right. So there are lots of different ways that this could get resolved. I think. Like the fundamental issue in this situation is the person, the client is inexperienced and they don't know a lot because if they did, this wouldn't be the situation. Yeah. Like hopefully that advice is helpful. I don't know if anybody else here has advice for how to deal with situations like that. I've never had
2: I've never had a that bad. That's that's insane. But something that we have used before is give the client the true cost of what they're asking for. Like how much would it cost to get their name at the top of every Google search? And it's in the like when and that's a like indirect way to get to that person's boss also, because when they go to their boss and they're like, this is gonna cost 40, 50 times the budget we have to do your these goals, immediately it's oh yeah, don't do that. And it's like pretty easy resolution, but it's a it's a tactic that works and it's worked for me before.
1: Yeah, certainly. You might be average position like 1.2 and you have a 70% search share of voice. Say, great, what's the incremental bids required for that extra 30% share plus to make sure that we always have a one position and yeah, to your point like you could be like, "Hey, it's a 35% monthly increase on your spend just to improve your rank by X and Y amount." Yeah.
0: Sweet. I got one more question. This person says, "I have some brand manager friends" who have been running influencer campaigns with their agency, but haven't been satisfied with the results. They've been talking about this a lot and it sounds like it's something that's common. Is this something that you're seeing too?
1: Yes. Influencer marketing is extremely hard to measure and it's extremely hard to satisfy clients because influencers fall into this weird bucket of everyone's, there, like, we're paying for their influence and their audience. And it sounds nice to have this ambassador or this rep who's like promoing your product or explaining it. And really that's what you're paying for with an influencer is their audience and for them to do the thing. But most of the time clients want results from influencers, whether or not they say that, whether or not like, they align on whatever. If they spend three hundred thousand dollars on influencers and they don't see a commensurate uptick in sales, you can bet your ass they're going to come back to you and be like, "Hey, so about that influencer program?" Um, I've run a lot of influencer programs, and it's tough for a couple of different reasons. And let me see if I can break this into a way that like is helpful to this person. So, okay, so in the like preparation and in the like selection of influencers, there's just a lot to do right you have to align with the audience and the influencer's audience and what kind of format and what kind of posting and the quality right so that can be a like really frustrating experience especially if the agency or the marketer has never gone through this before and if the agency doesn't know how to like ask the right questions to the client I've gone through like, experiences where like we've built a whole list and developed a strategy around why these influencers and we come back and they're like, oh no, actually, like we want this other segment, or we didn't tell you that like we want so a lot of the frustration that can come with an influencer marketing campaign in the setup phase is just around like navigating all of the things. Yeah, that that can be a little bit frustrating. And then like with the results, right? Like, how are you measuring those? Are there like promo codes? Are there affiliate links? are you going to use something like an attribution influencer model? And so the satisfaction in influencer marketing comes from when the brand feels like they reach people who represent them and the representation was good. And in that influencer's voice and it delivered results. And so if you can try and align on those things and like influencer marketing is just one of those things that like the more refs you have, like the easier it's going to become because until you've guided someone through it, like influencer selection and all that type of stuff, it's just hard to know what to do to make it a less less frustrating experience.
0: Awesome. And then I guess following on this, if you had to choose, would you run like banner ads or responsive ads or would you run influencer campaigns?
1: <laughs> oh, tricky question. All right. There are verticals and products where influencer marketing can work very well. There are lots of others where it doesn't work very well. Yeah, like my personal default would be to not do influencers as my first place to go and like allocate budget, but it may be right for some. And there's a lot that goes into making an influencer campaign be successful. And yeah, I would say know your brand, know your vertical, something that's like in- fashion or beauty is going to be a lot more successful in influencer marketing than something like pet food. And so, yeah, yeah. That's what I have to say on that.
0: We'll wrap there then. Thanks so much to everyone for showing up, helping us make this episode together. And we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, and if you're looking for a better way to prove that your campaigns are working and find the best ways to optimize spend, we invented bimodal attribution so you can see exactly how ad spend turns into results and make more of your campaigns. You can learn more about PMA at mintmeasure.com. See you next time.